Welcome to The Curious Sheep, the podcast for everything sheep. We'll ask questions, challenge ideas, learn from each other, and share the wonderful world of farming and all the fun that goes with it. Whether you're a seasoned pro at shepherding, just bought your first sheep, or live in the city and are curious about farming, I hope you can gain some knowledge for your own farm or a tidbit of farm info to share at your next dinner party. Hey everyone, and welcome back to what might be, unfortunately, the last episode of The Curious Sheep. It is, unfortunately, I think the ball that I need to drop right now. Um, Although it's been fun uh, getting to share everyone's stories and hearing all the awesome feedback that everyone has had from listening to the podcast, so I really appreciate that. Uh, Just too many things on my plate right now, but... Uh, I'll put it out there. If anyone's interested in sort of taking over or collaborating, shoot me an email and maybe we can keep this thing going. Um, So for our last episode, we are still on the wool theme. This week, I'm joined by Alex and Catherine from the U.S., They ended up up here um, in Canada at a shearing competition. They met our shearer, Charlie, and they showed up at our place to help shear. And they even taught Charlie a few things. So that was really cool to see. Uh, They do uh, competitions. They teach a shearing school and also manage their own flock of sheep. So we get into all kinds of stuff like that. I hope you enjoy and hopefully we will um, hear each other soon again. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Curious Sheep Podcast. This week, I'm excited to have Catherine and Alex here. They are from the United States, and they're with us in person. Um, Super random, I follow Catherine on Instagram, and she happened to be, or they happened to be here in Ontario for a shearing competition, and she asked if they could stop by, and They came to help shear some sheep today, so I thought, why not sit them down for a podcast and they can share all their secrets. How are you guys? We're doing well, thank you. Doing good. Good. So, why don't we start? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, and a little bit about your farm. We're from the northwest corner of Iowa, which is in the, about the dead center of the United States. We, uh... Shear sheep around there, but about five of us that kind of work together, cover a fairly large area, a couple hundred miles in every direction. And uh, we also have 900 ewes with my dad and brother, the family farm on accelerated lambing, a little bit of corn and soybean row cropping. It's enough to keep us busy most of the year until we come to Canada for vacation. <laughs> a working vacation. Then we right? end up shearing sheep. <laughs> and Catherine, what about you? What's your backstory? How did you get into sheep? Um, well, my dad raised sheep, and towards the end of our sheep career, I guess, he was getting double rotator cuff surgery. So I was home from college helping push up the sheep so that they would get up to the shears. There were about three or four shears there. And then I was picking up all the wool and pressing it, and it was a really hot day. And uh, I went into the trailer to sit down the shade for a little bit on one of the brakes. And the young shear there was oh. like, if only you weren't a girl, you could actually be helping us. <laughs> so I decided that maybe that was a good time to go to shearing school so that I could uh, 
learn to shear better than him. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, that's a good like. I'll show you, right? Exactly. Um, and speaking of that, there. I mean, it's not uncommon for there to be women shears, but it's a bit of a, a bit of a stereotype to break, right? Definitely. Because um, yeah, it's not. It's not about being all big and brawny and being able to wrestle sheep. It's about knowing how to handle sheep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, at the shearing schools, they're now about half the students tend to be women. And I think we've both found that they're a little easier to teach. Yeah. The, the women focus on the technique because they're not you know, strong enough just to manhandle the sheep. The guys try to overpower them, which doesn't work if you're going to shear a full day. You can't fight everyone. You have to use technique and get the sheep to work with you. Yeah, you'll be twice as tired in the end, right? Yep. Yeah. And there, yeah, there's quite a few really good women shear now. There's a Canadian from Manitoba just set a women's world record eight-hour shearing, did 510 lambs in eight hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's impressive. That's a big... A big day. And tell me a little bit about the farm. You guys have your own sheep that you're helping raise? Yeah, with my dad and my brother. About 900 polypay type commercial use on accelerated lambing. Have four lambing periods throughout the year. Try to lamb 300, 350 in each group. Yeah. Feed them all a TMR of corn silage based ration. A little bit of hay and corn and soybean meal when they need it. And in the States, you finish them a bit heavier than we do up here in Canada. You're finishing like 130 pounds, right? Yep. Any special tricks or what do you do for your uh, market lamb ration? Yeah, it's a mostly just straight whole shell corn and a protein pellet mixed in and then the some people will mix in a little hay for some long stem fiber. We usually just do a corn stalk bedding, keep them well bedded, and they'll eat enough for the corn stalks to keep their rumen functioning properly. Mm-hmm. And with accelerated lambing, what are your tips or what are your tricks that you use to get used to breed year round? We, uh, for fall lambing, which is out of season, we use light control. So on, it's actually January 1st, so when it works out for us, we turn all the lights on in the barns. And so it's the ewes that are in late gestation or lambing or early lactation. So they're all in the barns right then, usually lambing. But leave the lights all on for two months and then go back to natural day length. So, so it'll be like the days are shortening for them. Mm-hmm. So they'll think it's fall and it's time to breed. Nice. Do you use teaser rams or anything? Yeah, we usually use teaser rams just to help induce cycling. Yeah, very good. And is it, you said it's just your dad and your brother helping and you, so you kind of just take turns helping yeah. and being flexible, getting yeah, my everything brother, done? My brother shears with us also, so we stay fairly busy with shearing. Try to, whenever dad gets worn out, we try to relieve him a little bit. Yeah, it's really a juggling match to mm-hmm. keep up to date on shearing and the farm at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And your shearing group that you have, you guys 
travel quite a bit, right? Yeah, we, most of our jobs are within a couple hours, but we do travel some five, six hour trips. About once a month, we kind of go on a longer trip for a few days. Every April, I go to Montana and help some friends out that I started shearing their sheep when their shearer retired, and we've kind of grown together, I guess. <laughs> and so I still go back every year. A little bit of a yearly vacation. Yeah, it's nice off marinos and then the Earth Star Farms. Good. And you mentioned a little bit about shearing school, so you guys are involved in some of that. Tell me a bit about that. We're both shearing instructors. Yeah, we teach a shearing school in North Dakota and then one in South Dakota every year. Just kind of a vacation for us, too. <laughs> yeah, you guys are even helping Charlie learn how to shear one-handed today. It was interesting to watch. There's, yeah, like you were saying, with like technique and women shearing and just shearing in general, right? There's these little things, like I saw you, you were kind of pointing out to Charlie, like just, you know, move your leg a little bit this way so that the U doesn't quite fight back. And there's all these little tiny things that you can learn and perfect yeah i always tell the students like we didn't invent shearing like we're not just making this up or like we're just passing on stuff that other shearers have told us over the years Mm -hmm. and years there's always something to learn like every time i teach a shearing school i learn something new like maybe it's something i should already know but it just like oh yeah that little step or that little movement will help me out Mm-hmm. Just reinforce things. So say I'm a, a complete newbie. I'm like, hey guys, I want to learn to shear. What do you do? <laughs> we tell you about the shearing schools and we have you attend there with other newbies. Um, I think a big part of it is we try to get people to go through the pattern. And so we try to get them to figure out the pattern and just how to set up blades and how to keep control of the handpiece and keep control of the sheep. And we work on getting everything put together. Yeah, it's a long, slow process. A lot of people think they can just go to a three-day school and go home and shear their hundred sheep in a day. That's not how it works. Yeah. I will say, with Charlie, like... He actually already knows how to shear, and so when he asked us to kind of teach him this other way too, like he's picking it up probably faster than any normal student because he actually knows how to keep control of the sheep for the most part. It's just little bits of, well, when you're doing it this way, move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just slightly differently. Yeah. And how do you become a shearing instructor? <laughs> Lots of practice. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> you tend to get pushed into it because <laughs> we need more shearers because there's a bit of a shortage yeah, to get a, There's a worldwide done. shearer shortage. So. One of the nice things about shearing, like it's a skill that's needed. Like there's sheep that need shorn all over the world. And if you get proficient at shearing, you can travel the whole world. Maybe not this year, but in a normal year mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and always find a job if you're a quality shearer. I've shorn in five or six different countries around the world. And it's always interesting and exciting to learn some new things. Yeah. 
Do you guys have a favorite kind of sheep to shear? There's a lot of breed differences, right? Like you like you think about like a merino style sheep might have like more skin folds and you look at some of our big heavy dorsets, they're just a whole bunch of heavy fluff. Yeah. I would say that some of the best shearing ewes I've been around were actually the other day we helped out a buddy in Canada and they're kind of a little bit lighter weight and fairly open. I'm not exactly sure the breed, but would you say they were? They were a mixed up group a little bit. Yeah, but they're pretty there's, open. There's pluses and minuses. Like, yeah. You know, like a merino sheep has a lot of skin, so there's a whole new challenge with that, but they're typically fairly small and not real muscular, not as strong. Pretty or, docile. Whereas a big meat type sheep it's going to be a lot stronger, but they don't have wool everywhere, and they usually have tight skin. Mm-hmm. Makes a part of the fun, right? Something different every day. Yeah, every sheep is different. So the reason you guys are in Canada is because of the shearing competition that was just held this past weekend. Tell us a bit about that, and we'll get into, like, sheep shearing competitions. It's like the Olympics for sheep shearing, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. I think this year was actually the 10th annual Holstein Rodeo sheep shearing competition. Is it that many years already? That's what they thought anyway. But, uh, I, I think I was, I think this is the fourth time that I've been here. And it's always a fun time getting to meet other shears. And uh, a few of the Canadian shears have come down to the U.S. and I've shorn with them there. And good chance to hook up with old friends. And, Mm-hmm. So we actually have a shearing contest in Michigan tomorrow, and so uh, they ended up only being four days apart this year. We decided we might as well, if we're driving that far, might as well hit them both. And managed to make it Good. across the border. Meet some new people. Yeah, yeah. like oh, ra- randoms from Instagram, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I. I didn't know Charlie was going to be at the shearing competition at Holstein either. And so he stopped by for the clinic and for the contest. So it was a lot of fun to meet him. And then we ended up coming here to help him out. And why don't you talk a little bit about what a shearing competition is and what all happens? I was under the impression when I first started shearing the shearing competitions were this bad thing where people tried to shear sheep really fast and recklessly and they usually weren't very good shears if they were in a shearing competition and it turns out I was completely wrong about all of that and misled because it's really a test of skill and it's very technical on three different categories And so there's kind of like the on the board score and there's the out the back and then there is time, but that's only one third of the overall score. So you're probably better at explaining this. Yeah. Like the board score, the judges that watch you shear, they're looking for second cuts in the wool. So if you cut the fiber twice, that shortens it, which decreases the value to the producer, which currently wool's not a real high ticket item, but there is some value there and some years are better. If you cut it all in half, it's all going to be too short to spin properly. 
And so they watch for that going back over the same place twice. And then once the sheep is shorn, it goes to the back judges. And those judges look for any ridges left on the sheep, wool left on, or if you happen to scratch them or nick them slightly, they'll discount you for that. And then the time is just for how long it takes. You get penalized the longer it takes. Mm. And so on, like most of the first rounds, like the preliminary rounds are going to be like, depending on what level you are, two to four or five sheep. And when it's that few of sheep, the time really isn't a factor. It's mostly all on quality. And then once you get into the finals, like in the open finals, then time becomes more of a factor. The more sheep you have, the more time matters. So we did 12 sheep in the finals this year. Is that a set number for each, for like the sheep shearing competition world, or does it kind of change with the different It varies. Spots? Kind of the rule of thumb is for the professional final, they kind of want it to take between 15 and 20 minutes. They don't want it to get any longer than that. So depending how good the sheep are, that'll depend on how many they put into the final. Okay, so like if they're really big and super wooly, they right, will make you not do quite as many. less sheep in the final, whereas if they're really good, small lambs, you might do more. There's been a couple years where we've done 20 head in the finals in Holstein, mm-hmm. which was very fun. That makes yeah. That's a that's yeah. That's a intense fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. That was my favorite year in Holstein. It ended up being Don Motherall from Ontario here, mm-hmm. myself, and then a guy from Australia and a guy from New Zealand were the four that made it into the final. Oh. It was four different countries, all fighting it out in the yeah. finals. It was very exciting. Yeah. Okay, and that's the professional final there's a novice and an intermediate as well right yeah they actually had the novice intermediate and then a senior which is between intermediate and professional so they actually had four different divisions and what are the like if you're doing novice how many sheep are you shearing for a competition usually just like the first round they did two and then the final they did three okay so kind of a start it Start it fairly slow and easy. Yeah. yeah. And, and that really focuses on quality. With that few of sheep, you have to do a really good job on every sheep to have a chance to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Charlie was saying, this was the first year he did the competition, and it's this balance between you want to be fast, but you don't want to go so fast you're doing too many second cuts or, or leaving you're wall. nicking, nicking you the sheep. You want to be right? efficient, I guess, because you want to do all of that quality Quickly. Quickly. Yes. (laughs) Because if you mess up on the quality, then you're not going to win. Time is also an issue for an animal welfare thing. Like, the longer the sheep is getting shorn, usually the more stressful it is for them. If you can get that over with quickly and efficiently, they're less stressed and happier to go back to their friends. So time, like, you want to do it fairly quickly, but you don't want to... Do it faster than what you're capable of mm-hmm. to do it cleanly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you were saying, Catherine, it's it's not it's about doing that good job. You had this impression that everyone just quickly raced through it, but yeah, you're also judged on how nicely it is, which is really important because as an industry, we need 
sheep shears to be doing a good job and competitions are a way to sort of build that and then you have other shears there that you can kind of learn from and network with too yeah. yeah good so you were saying there is a there's a shortage of shears why would someone want to be a shearer that is a good question because <laughs> um. you don't have to have a sheep background you don't have to have a farm background even right yeah yeah there's a lot of shears that have Probably never really worked with sheep till they went to shearing school. I just thought it looked neat. Mm -hmm. And they're some of the better shearers, actually. <laughs> yeah, I'd say this one gal we have working with us, um, just by chance ended up shearing alpacas and then learned about shearing sheep and decided she wanted to do that better. And she's really... <laughs> really impressive she's only about i think she'd want me to say five two <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's very she just dedicated and learned how to handle the sheep and she watches videos and she's on a break right now for the summer and so she's going to the gym every day to get stronger <laughs> to learn how to yeah. keep her body up to yeah kind of finding your yeah your little niche or your yeah the thing that uh gets you excited to get up in the morning it, yeah. it's something that's kind of addicting like once you do it you never get to the point where i'm doing it perfectly like there's always something to improve on and so you keep trying to get better and pretty soon you're old and i guess i gotta quit shooting now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's um true. Yeah, at what what are some things like if there is any shearers listening or people wanting to get into shearing, what are some things or tips to keep your body strong or keep going as long as you can because you need to take care of the body that's doing the work. Yes, stretching is important and you know, drinking water and actually just keep doing it like yeah. Times that I struggle the most is if I take a long break, like and don't shear for three, four weeks, and then go back into a big day. Like my body's not happy then. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, even but, even a short break. I mean, that's a short amount of time, but yeah, that's even enough to sort of. Because like you use a lot of your back muscles and hamstrings and like, muscles that you don't typically use in just other everyday activities like like going running and stuff helps but it's different muscles than what you use shearing yeah mm -hmm. do you go see like massage therapist or anything like that um i had a an athletic physical therapist and so i would go see him anytime there were problems i could say that for if you'd like yeah no phys yeah physical therapist because they would be able to really tell you are they're the ones that can figure out like even if they if you walk for them right they can tell you like if you're using the wrong muscles while you're walking and weird stuff like that right yeah so i actually like i had this physical therapist and i would send him a video of shearing and he would look at like the proper technique 
you'd be like, oh, well, actually, you're rolling your ankle a little bit in this spot. And it, according to this other video you sent me, because you didn't know anything about shearing, it's like you don't need to be doing that to keep control of the sheep. So we want to keep your ankle in the proper position. And then he'd give me exercises to kind of counterbalance the damage I was trying to cause. No, that's really interesting. Because, yeah, and it's, you said, like, just roll your ankle in that one movement. And yeah. if you do that too many times a day or the yeah. wrong way, you're going to wreck your whole ankle, right? Yeah. Sometimes when I get on really heavy sheep, I've got issues. <laughs> and I, like, I know in Australia, they've done some research studies on the energy exerted and the, they, uh, like, shearing a full eight hour at, like, high level shearing for a record or something like that like use as much energy as running two marathons back to back in wow. an eight eight hour day and so it, it is taxing on your body and you do have to take care of it mm -hmm. and i think nowadays there's a lot more emphasis on that part of it like they used to not really talk about it a lot like you would just shear sheep and then go to the bar afterwards and you yeah, you muscle through it, right? Or again, and, and people's bodies did get injured a lot more. Whereas now they're focusing on technique and things to help protect your body. Yeah, it's a bit of that farmer mentality, right? You just, you work through it. Right. You get the job done. It doesn't, Yeah. you don't think about what it does. But there's a lot body. of little technique things that actually reduce the strain on parts of your body that are prone to weakness. Mm -hmm. That's probably a good tip for anyone doing any sort of physical job. Yeah. I know like every time lambing comes around, I go see my osteopath and she's like, you've been hopping gates again, haven't you? I'm like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Lots of things we should be doing to make sure our bodies work how they're, how they're supposed to. Being American sheep and lamb producers, have you noticed it kind of the same way we have in Canada? We have a growing demand. We have a lot of people who enjoy eating lamb and goat on a regular basis. Have you seen that increase or that growing demand too in the States? Yeah, we definitely have an increase in demand. And uh, currently I assume it's similar to Canada. Like the U.S. is not producing enough lamb to meet their demand. I think close to 60% of the lamb consumed in the U.S. is imported from other countries. So that's about the same as Canada. I thought it might not be quite as... I thought it might be higher because we're about that 30-40% too that we can fill. Yeah. There's like endless possibility. Right. There's yeah, huge opportunity and it seems like the higher population centers with the higher ethnic population, there's high demand for some like light lambs, mm -hmm. a lot of them like light lambs or call ewes, mm -hmm. more demand for that too. And I find too that it's not, it's not even just non-North Americans, even North Americans now, anyone who's less than say 40, 50 years old, there was always this, the, the, the war mutton. Yeah. People always remember, oh, it's, it's just war mutton, right? Like they were so used to this very intense flavor that they got from this mutton they were forced to eat during the war. But even well let's call them millennials i guess like they have this taste for and they, they like for to lamb try new and they like to try new things it's not just i always say like us americans are kind of boring or north americans are boring right it's 
well, she eats steak and potatoes and bacon for breakfast, but everywhere else in the world, that is not part of the diet. Yeah. Do you, um, is there growing numbers of flocks in the States trying to meet this demand or what, is anything happening in the States that you've noticed? I, th I think there's still a large decrease in sheep numbers like in the Western States, which were typically large range mm -hmm. operations and uh, yeah, coyote predation is a huge factor and also government leasing like a lot of grazing was done on government land and that's getting harder and harder to get grazing rights on some of the government land so it's mm -hmm. causing a few people to go out of business but i think like in our area where it's more i would say not confinement sheep but house sheep, sheep i call them house sheep as well <laughs> sheep that have a home <laughs> there's an increase in that sort of sheep production Mm-hmm. And probably accelerated lambing a bit yeah. too, like we see here. Yeah. Get, getting more lambs per ewe per year. Mm -hmm. More efficient production. Yeah. I always like to, it's like that, that if you have a great spot to do extensive, like grazing, or if you can do silvopasture or, you know, graze your scrubland, but then you can also go really intensive and go yeah. the other way as well. Yeah. I grew up with rotational grazing. My dad was really dedicated to, we got the e-fences out and set up a little section and moved them every single day. But we had a lot more land and kinder weather. <laughs> Sheep are a unique animal with the rumen digestive system. Like they can utilize a lot of different feedstuffs. And so they can be raised a lot of different ways. Not that one's necessarily better than the other, but you have to work with what you have in your area and your environment. Yeah. Obviously, you can't graze sheep when it's four foot of snow outside. You need to have a plan. But they don't need water when there's four feet of snow. That does help. <laughs> um, do you have a lot of younger producers trying to get into agriculture, um, considering sheep as an option? I would say there's quite a few... You know, in the last five, ten years, a lot more startup farmers that are turning to sheep as a way to get into farming without huge investment and capital in their farming operation. They can start small and slowly work their way up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been finding that here, especially because we have the quota system for the dairy and the yeah. chicken industry. and You just can't buy into that you, system. It, I mean, yeah, it's you need... You need to be in the right place, the right time, and to, you know stuff like that to get in. So, yeah, we've been finding the same thing here, and they're easy to work with for most. It's, and it can work in a lot of situations. So you don't necessarily need any fancy or big equipment. You can make a lot of stuff work. Right, a lot of old buildings can be remodeled and used for sheep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. The wool industry, since you are very embedded in the actual harvesting of the wool, what do you guys see happening in the wool industry in the U.S.? I think that the fine wool has a pretty bright future, like there's pretty high demand for wool socks and a lot of the newer wool clothing. Everybody kind of has the old mentality that oh, wool is hot and itchy 
and a lot of the new products that they're developing are definitely not that. It can be very light and airy. Machine washable, dryable. Yes. <laughs> and so that's opened up pretty big opportunities for the apparel market for the finer type wools. A lot of the coarser wools are still used in like curtains and airplane upholstery. Where there's kind of a limited demand for that. Currently, mm -hmm. synthetic fibers have kind of taken over a lot of that. Mm -hmm. How many of the farmers that you shear for get, like how much of it is processed in the U.S. versus exported? Do many of them know, do many of them have that connection to a, a processor in the U.S.? I would say quite a bit of the fine wool gets processed in the U.S. to make sacks or military uniforms use a lot of U.S. grown wool. But a lot of the other stuff does go overseas for processing. Like China is typically a big importer of coarser wools in the last few years have not helped out that market at all. No. So it's a good point you brought up the military. Well, I heard the story once they were all switching to, you know, everyone has Under Armour, right? So they all switched to, I'm not sure if it was, it was the U.S. military or what military it was, but they switched to Under Armour because it was supposed to be this amazing base layer. But what's it made of? Plastic. Yeah. So if you get hot. hit by whatever... In an explosion, it, it melts, melts to your body. It so that's one of the main skin. reasons they want to use wool in yeah. in their uniforms is because it protects your body so much better and it won't light on fire. Right. Yeah, and it'll keep you warm even if it's wet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I hope there's so much potential, right? So I hope more and more we get get our Canadian wool used domestically as well. Yeah. But, do you deal with any processing mills as shearers or do farmers mostly have those contacts? Um, I think it's mostly farmers have those contacts. I know that there's a mountain meadow mill, mountain meadow mills in Buffalo, Wyoming that processes for my friends in Montana. Yeah, like we buy wool for a company, but they're just a, uh like a wool broker, like they'll take wool in, pay the producer, and then they resort, rebale it, and will sell it all over the world. Mm -hmm. So do you do so, that grading then, or do you leave that up to the buyer? Most of it's done by the buyer. Like we do some on-farm sorting, like tell the producer, you know, sort your black sheep separate from your white sheep. And yeah, and then you probably... your fine wool separate from your coarse yeah. wool sheep. And then you can kind of keep it separate by right. breed too and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Keep the hair sheep. Yeah. Keep hair last. out of it. Which yeah. Is a, yeah. Hair is a big contaminant of wool because it doesn't dye the same as wool does. Mm -hmm. Do you guys find, so in Canada, because we have to keep a lot of the sheep indoors, especially during the winter, um, there's always a lot of wool that gets contaminated with hay. And as soon as hay and straw gets embedded with the wool, like it's just, it never properly comes clean. Do you guys have a lot of that as well? That would be decreasing the value of the wool? Yeah, but it's not actually a huge 
problem in the manufacturing process. Like a lot of those organic contaminants will actually get dissolved in the washing process and get sorted out through the combing and carting. Mm-hmm. It's, think... more, it's more of the things that act like wool, like hair. Like the hair. Or and then the polypropylene twine. Like mm. polytwine pieces. People use it to fix a gate and then it'll get stuck into the wool. And there's actually, if you look online, there's photos of garments that have been made and they'll be a little thin blue or orange. <laughs> like I toured one of the big wool mills in the U.S. where they make a lot of the military uniforms in South Carolina. And like they actually, every sheet of fabric, like have to have people sitting there with tweezers and magnifying glass and they pull the fabric down and pull, will out. pull out hair or poly contaminants that's in the finished fabric. Yeah, because that wouldn't, so where a, else do you stop? Like, how do you find it, right? Right, there's no way, other way to get it out. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. What, as shearers, what are your, what are your tips for a, helping a farmer improve the whole shearing process and B, for improving the quality of the wool clip. There's a fine line when you're invited to somebody's farm to shear. They don't always want to listen to everything that they're doing wrong. <laughs> so you can make a few suggestions, but you try not to say too much unless they ask for help. Say like, oh, you know, a lot of times they'll say, like, well, I've been having trouble with this area of my operation. And you can give up things that you've seen at other people's farms that have helped them out. And we're always willing to help people out, but you don't want to overstep what you were invited there to do and mm-hmm. say too much. Do you guys have any requirements as, well, especially if, or do the five of you go out often together or do you kind of split it up? If you've got five shears coming, what does that farmer have to, do you give that farmer requirements like you need A, B, and C set up if we're all going to come today? Yeah, a lot of times we, most of our jobs, we try to take enough shears to get the job done in one day. So say somebody has a thousand lambs to shear, then we might all five go. But if they only have 200 to shear, then it might just be two of us will go do them. Mm-hmm. In a lot of places, you know, once we've been there a time or two, we kind of know their setup and the different possibilities. Like, okay, well, this job, like, it'd be nice if we could all go there, but it's just not going to work well with their setup. And so we might, okay, we'll just do it in two days. Mm-hmm. But the main things that we tell the producer, like, keep your sheep off feed and water the night before. Let the sheep empty if they're full. Be similar to wrestling after Thanksgiving dinner. Just, <laughs> you're just not comfortable. And it's I, hard on the sheep and the shear. I think something that some people don't quite understand about like the length that we ask for the sheep to be off feed and water because they're like, oh, well, if you keep them off overnight, that's 12 hours of no food. Well, they have four stomachs. So it takes a long time for them to fully digest their food. Mm-hmm. And... Yes, yeah, so stomach one might be empty from Thanksgiving, but the three others are still full, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it also varies by what they're eating. Like, yeah, lush green grass is going to go through them faster than a bunch of dry hay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to improve the wool clip, 
what are some things that you recommend farmers do or that you have seen work really well on some farms? Yeah, a lot of people think, well, if they try to keep the wool clean on shearing day, like that'll improve it, but it's a year-long process to keep the wool clean. How you feed your sheep throughout the year, that'll you know, impact how much hay and feed they have in their wool. You can't just change that on that day. And also like controlling lice and stuff that can really impact the quality of the wool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and stuff like that you might notice, but the farmer might not, right? right. Until, until you're shearing. Because you might see things like lice or keds or things like that on the sheep, right? Yeah. Well, we actually have the example of the pony. Um, there's a farmer keeping a pony in with his sheep, and we kept telling him that he was having a lice problem. He's like, I pour them right when I should, right after they're shorn. Like, I don't, like, I keep trying to keep them clean. And then uh, come to find out he didn't pour the pony, and so it was acting as a host, and then just pour redistributing the, the lice every time afterwards. Yeah, that's a that's a good example of like a big picture thing. Like it's it's not just treating the sheep. You kind of have to think about the environment too. Yeah. Yeah. What um is there something you want to tell the public or non-farmers about sheep shearing and why it's important? I think that sometimes people don't understand that the wool just keeps growing like sheep have been domesticated probably longer than any other animal and from that point they've been bred to grow wool and to not shed the wool so at this point there's no going back <laughs> like they grow wool and it needs to be clipped every year or it will just continue to grow and there's been sheep that they've found that managed to make it a few years without being shorn and they'll have 40 pounds, 50 pounds of wool on them, which is not healthy. Mm -hmm. And most shears like are doing it for the welfare of the animal. Like, like yeah. yeah, you do it to make money also, but if the producer doesn't have healthy sheep you're not gonna have a job to go back to yeah. you want the producers to be successful you want the sheep to be healthy make the producer a profit so they stay in business that's how you stay in business mm -hmm. yeah uh, no that's good and yeah then you get an end product too so yeah that's yeah. always a bonus <laughs> yes yeah um Anything else you want to add about shearing? I also have a couple fun questions for you too. Ooh. What, maybe I'll ask it two ways because we're talking about wool, but we're also talking about lamb. What's your favorite lamb or mutton recipe? <laughs> um, <laughs> we butchered a lamb at home and Alex brought it home in kind of a grocery bag and it went in the freezer and I pulled it out and he's like, oh, I think that was a leg of lamb. Well, I pulled it out and put it in the crock pot and it was not a leg of lamb. It was actually a neck, 
but I found this recipe online for a slow cook leg of lamb, and it was actually really good. Yeah, just with the different. Yeah, just a different part. Yeah. But yeah, I do love like chops on the grill too, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your favorite sheep resource or book that you like to share with people. <laughs> Alex tapping his brain. <laughs> what's what's your go to, each of you? Where do you go to find info? I think Google. <laughs> um, asking Alex. We're also a part of this pipestone program, and I also call my dad a lot. <laughs> I've yeah. heard lots of good stuff about pipestone. Yeah, and that pipestone's a group of producers that just. I mean, they work together pretty much. They have meetings together. They have farm tours to each other's operations. And like, you can see what's working for somebody and what's not. And like, just getting out there and even going overseas and seeing other operations, like, I bring back ideas on things that might help us out. Mm-hmm. You just stay at your own place. You always think you're doing good enough, but you don't really know, like, the opportunities that are out there ways you can improve by doing different things yeah the whole networking thing right and then yeah. being open to sharing stuff yeah about your own farm too right and not being afraid to try new things there's always you can always go back to the way you were doing it if it doesn't work but be willing to step out of your comfort zone and try something new mm-hmm. what's ahead for the future Big plans, more shearing. <laughs> Always more shearing. That doesn't go away. Um, continue to work on our operation. Hopefully, have something to pass down to the next generation. Hopefully, go to the World Championships in Scotland in twenty twenty three. Hopefully Alex makes the team. That'd be pretty exciting. Scotland on the list of places with sheep to go visit. Yep. <laughs> You'll have to come. Yeah. Twenty twenty three. Yeah. Because those the world championships, those are all over, aren't they? Yeah, they try to alternate between the northern and southern hemisphere. It's usually held every three to four years, kinda like the Olympics of sheep shearing. Yeah. And what do you need to do to get on the team to go to the world? Each the country can send two shears. It's up to that country to decide who their shears are. And what qualifies their shears? Like yeah. the U.S., we have a point system. So going to a different contest throughout the year will give you points. And so if we take the points leader at the end of the three years or whatever, whoever has done the best at all the contest is one person, and then the second person is chosen from the national contest the year before. Hmm. But they also have to have a certain number of points. They can't just show up at one contest and get there. They have to it's like qualify. A, a minimum number be, of contests that yeah. you have to go to. Cool. So how, like two people from... The U.S. How many shearers are in the U.S.? So, no does idea. anyone even know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
I don't know that there's a good way to put a number on because there's a lot of people that you know have another full-time job and will shear a few sheep on the weekend and or do their own sheep and maybe a couple neighbors Mm -hmm. like it's hard to get a count on how many people actually shear sheep like at our national contests we usually get close to 50 shears that'll show up Mm -hmm. for the contest obviously there's a lot more shears than that yeah, those are sort of the 50 who are interested in competing and yeah. doing it at that kind of a level. Yeah. <laughs> I think Canada only has two contests. The one here in Ontario, the Calgary Stampede, usually has a shearing contest. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, that's exciting. We'll be watching. Thank you. I'm sure it'll be somewhere on the internet or yeah. be an excuse to go to Scotland, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> be a good excuse to go to Scotland. Yeah, I would. It's a work trip. Business right. expense, right? We could go tour some sheep farms. Exactly. We're doing a research. educational research. We could yeah. even do a podcast. Yeah, we can From even. Scotland. Exactly. <laughs> 2023. That's a long time away. <laughs> Keep it going till then. <laughs> yeah. Very good. That is a lot of information from you too. Thank you very much. Um, how do people connect with you? Or if they want to shear, how do they reach out to someone like you um, if they're interested in starting to shear? Oftentimes people will find me on Instagram or Facebook or um, the ASI actually has a directory and I'll get phone calls from there and then I give them Alex's number. <laughs> Perfect. And do you organize a certain number of like shearing schools a year or is it just when you get enough people that are interested like the the two that we currently teach are run by universities and they've been going for quite a number of years but yeah if there's big interest in an area like we've done just a couple here and there where somebody will call and say hey i have five to ten people that want to learn how to shear like can you come to a school we can get that organized too mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thanks so much for joining me and for visiting and for for helping Sheer today. We will meet again. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks for tuning in and make sure you head on over to Instagram to follow us at CircleRLM where I'll be posting links to the episodes as well as the show notes and any related tip sheets and materials. Feel free to ask any questions or give us suggestions for future episodes. Thanks and happy farming.